Tactical Officer's Log, Stardate 43275.3. I'm apparently stuck dealing with young Alexander and all of his d small, stupid little things that he tries to do. I'm just sitting here trying to work. He's in the next room and I'm trying to deal with him being him. God damn it, Alexander, stop! It is not the laughing hour right now! I just get you I'm certain, as I am of all of our uh, little skip works that we do on this show, that uh, rehearsal would only have destroyed it. Here we are! <laughs> Episode 20! I believe, of the fifth season of Re-Engage, your podcast hit, where four <laughs> Gen X morons get together to re-engage with their very favorite Star Trek television show of all time. That is Star Trek The Next Generation from the late 80s through the mid-90s. Your source for all things Picard and Wesley. I am joined, as always, by my fellow Cultural Bridge officers. Let's go right around and say hello to everyone. I will say my own name this time. I am Eric Curry, and joining me, as always, are the wonderful Jimmy G. What's up? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> oh, laughing hour never stops. Here we are, and we continue through to say hello to Greg Tito. How are you, sir? I love that now uh, Zoom edits out little kid noises because <laughs> i couldn't hear it but i think that's important for us to know that zoom hates children <laughs> wait till you hear it on the audacity you're not gonna like it <laughs> <laughs> almost as much as i didn't like it in the show oh i'm just delighted already kate yeager how are you to bring this local little thing home? Uh, I I have not had my own laughing hour uh, like this in quite some time. I am I am full of levity. Oh, see, this is perfect, and I hope that it takes less than an hour to talk about this nothing burger of an episode. <laughs> I feel like I feel like at the end of a good episode, Greg will say, "Hey, Eric, you haven't hosted one in a while." And we just know I'm going to hate it. We know I'm going to hate it in season five because that is how it has come down the pike at me. Not my favorite episode, this one. But that's okay. It does start out strong with a direct hit on an asteroid that's being such an asshole. We'll get to it soon. That is the way to start once we start. But in the meantime, we're going back around to talk about what was happening <gasps> in this lovely world <laughs> in which we live. In the middle of 1992... 32 years ago, what was happening in the world, Greg Tito? Well, it was 420 before 420 was a thing. Uh, it's about to be a thing, I think, nice. in the mid-90s when people know, knew about it. But counterculture-wise, people were getting high and watching this episode. Hey, hey, hey. We were already well aware of two princes by this <laughs> point. So I think 420 had to be around. I think that's true. It was about a month since the last episode. So a whole bunch of stuff happened. So I'm going to go a little bit rapid fire here. Nice. But on April 2nd, Mafia boss John Gotti was found guilty of five murders. Count five. There was a lot of murders as well as conspiracy to murder, loan sharking, 
illegal gambling, obstruction of justice, bribery, and everyone's favorite to get the mafias with tax evasion. Oh. Uh, that's where you got to start. Then the dominoes start falling. April 6th, uh, Camden Yards opened uh, in Ooh. Baltimore. We talked about this breaking ground uh, a couple of episodes ago, uh, and it is one of the first newer ballparks that absorbed the history of baseball and made it front and center uh, and also had a groundbreaking See how I did that? There's yeah. groundbreaking there. Um, thing of actually having decent food and amenities for people. Mm. Uh, so that was good. Uh, and that's definitely one of my favorite ballparks that I've been to. On April 11th, the Irish Republican Army bombed the London Financial District, killing three. It is a testament that in uh, Star Trek, of course, they know that now in this year, 2024, the, the Irish will unify and then hopefully destroy all of the Tories uh, that are plaguing it is worth bringing up that uh Sinn Féin the political party that is largely associated with the IRA just elected their first first minister in the north of Ireland and they do hold a majority of the legislative seats there thereby saying that in 2024 we are closer than we have ever been to the 32 counties being reunified on one island all right gorgeous well, we got great. <laughs> I liked I liked how the accent almost got there. And almost, you were like, I could do an Irish one, but <laughs> that would cheapen it somehow. It I think would. It on April twelfth, Euro Disney opened. Did you ever actually make it to to Euro Disney? Yes, it is of course now called Disneyland Paris because they were sick of all it the is. jokes. But yes, we did make it to Euro Disney. Gorgeous and small and boring though it is, I had a great time. <laughs> is it true that Mickey Mouse there is a dick? I was not uh, presented with the actual presence of Mickey Mouse, but the blue fairy from uh, Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty was quite nice to me. And uh, I would encourage you all to go meet her by the uh, merry-go-round. But does she speak American? <laughs> uh, she did not speak. Not at all. She was very quiet as a painting. <laughs> choice. Uh, big, big fan. Um, pretty much everyone there spoke English, especially if you tried to speak French. They give that nice sigh and then deign to speak English to you <laughs> rather than hear you destroy their beloved French, in, in my experience. And that's been happening for 30 years. Yeah. In, in that location. And then finally, April 13th, Crystal Pepsi began test marketing in several areas, including Sacramento, Providence, Denver, Dallas, and Grand Rapids. And I blame all the people for allowing that product to come to market to more people because um, your survey results said it was not that terrible. <laughs> Do you remember when they made clear gravy? Yes. I no. Think was terrible yeah. idea. Clear. Love it. So you could see your food. I don't like it. I don't like it. And it was just as bad with Crystal Pepsi. It didn't make any sense. Cola should not be clear. Uh, and that's all I got for what was happening in the world. Uh, but I noticed there were a lot of really fun entertainment things happening. So I'm excited Ooh. to hear what Kate says next. We take a step back from the IRA and Euro Disney to go right to Kate Yeager and what was happening in the music land. Well, in the three weeks between the show, besides the wonderful things that Greg told us about, uh, William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, and DeForest Kelly were inducted into the National Association of Broadcasters Hall of Fame. Oh. I know. We, we, we question. I'm sure that they just have a category that's like people we'd like to meet. 
<laughs> as far as music goes, Save the Best for Last by Vanessa Williams will finish its five-week reign as number one this week. Hot. But over on the news of music, uh, Madonna signed a $60 million deal with Time Warner. And this was in 1992, my friends. Wow. Wow. We missed Sleepwalkers becoming the number one movie. It was a number one for a week. Yes, I know. I knew you would enjoy that, Eric. That, that was number one? Right? <laughs> I love it. And then uh, Basic Instinct has returned to number one this current week that we are on. And finally, on April 25th of this week that the episode airs, uh, ABC broadcast the series finales of Who's the Boss, Growing Pains, and MacGyver thereby like effectively just decimating their ratings i'm sure in one swell food one swell no one fell swoop (laughs) (laughs) one One swell swell poop y'all one swell poop smiling out loud smiling out loud the 80s are over uh and that's what's happening in pop culture do 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 yeah Crystal Gravy, I went to go check it. It actually is a Saturday Night Live commercial oh, from 1993. So yeah. Perfect. It, all, I, it was like, did they really make that? Because I feel like that was not real. Uh, but it is, of course. And I have the image of them pouring like polyurethane yeah. over like steak and potatoes. So gross. Oh, the good shit. Well done, everyone. From there, we take a quick step backstage and see uh, uh, who was fucking who. What was going on, Jimmy? <laughs> what do they? What do they got to say? It was all over the cast, from what I understood. <laughs> uh, I have a very short list. Uh, only one thing, and uh, it's really just uh, sort of recapping what we all kind of felt. It was at this episode that Pillar actually says out loud that the writing staff has been toying with the idea of putting Worf and Troy together, and they have purposely built in small moments to possibly build up to that uh, that union, those relations happening. Uh, and this was one more little step with them uh, jointly trying to help young Alexander uh, curb his uh, temper tantrums. <laughs> and that's all I have from the Nesic files. My parents never tried to curb my omnipresent temper tantrums uh, by taking me to a nudie mud pit. <laughs> and if they had, I might have uh, had a whole different life. I'm here to regret <laughs> it. So we'll talk about our uh, guest stars when we get to them. We, of course, have several we'll be ignoring and several that we have talked about before. We have spoken at length about the brilliance that is Luoxana Troy. We will talk about her performance again when we get there. Uh, but we will not be talking about her earlier career. We will also be skipping the wonderful Carol Strachan, who is uh, Mr. Uh, her Mr. Bean the guy uh, next to him, which is which is really truly wonderful. Yes, Mr. Home, who I always just go home. <laughs> I hear her say that uh, because it's um, you know culturally insensitive of me. So we start the beginning of the episode as we are likened 
to do uh, by doing the beginning. There is a direct hit, as I mentioned earlier. The asteroid that we had not seen before it exploded is still, however, large enough to cause casualties and it's, as it's on a course to another direct hit onto the uh, Tesla 3 planet, I believe they call it. I don't know. I didn't write it down. There's, this would be enough to cause planet-wide damage because it's made of neutrium and crondite. There's even a magnetic field interference happening as they try several different ways to blow it up. They are told, however, that another torpedo will not have the effect that they would like it to have, even though they have readied all of the photon torpedoes. We are not going to fire anymore. We have 17 seconds left, Captain. What are we going to do? He says, I suppose we could use the... Um, I don't know. What is, what is it? Particle beam? We will use the particle beam. Holy moly, there's a particle beam like the center field of Iron Man's chest armor. When, when it doesn't work out of his hands, he has to use the chest one, and then that always works just fine. Star Trek has decided to do the same thing. It will cause a molecular disturbance in the neutrium core. Uh, they do that. It, the disturbance happens very quickly, and suddenly we're all fine. We don't need to even talk about it. We'll just do warp four away from here. As soon as we clear this debris field that no one could be concerned about. The ship flies through what I'm sure is only decorative space glitter. No no danger to be had. We'll still be finding it 200 years later when we clean the, out, <laughs> the exterior of the ship. But right There's now it's harmless. Here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is a very quick opening scene uh, we but have... not an equally quick recap <laughs> no <laughs> no not at all i had to go back yes. and make sure i hadn't started in media res by accident uh right. because that sometimes happens i i will go on to the next episode uh uh, and I was like, oh, I must, I, I got to go back and make sure I watch the beginning of it because it starts yeah. so yep. abruptly. I thought I'd screwed up. Um, and I think maybe <laughs> they did uh, screw up uh, by that editor got having fired. this be Ugh. a like drama, even though there is all the drama of this that is, uh, you know, uh, commonplace in Star Trek episodes that we've seen before. It doesn't really feel like anything that happens here. It just feels really kind of boring. None uh, of them are worried. That glitter. Like there's 17 seconds left and the planet's going to be destroyed. And they're all just looking at the captain like, oh, I mean, is there anything else you want to try? Like we got plenty of time. Right? Well, I mean, in the defense of the Star Trek universe, they have proven that 30 seconds to 17 seconds <laughs> is plenty of time for them to solve catastrophic issues so you know these guys are these, they got their game faces on they're ready put me in cap i don't know much about physics i don't but if you blow up a thing like 10 seconds before it hits the planet it's still gonna create a huge amount of problems for a planet right now if it's made of glitter listen that's the oh, cleanup crew's oh. problem greg we blow stuff All up right. lower deck they clean it up and remember, we might not know anything about physics, but it is what Captain Picard does on his yeah, days off. Right. He sits there with with his little uh, graph paper and writes down shit <laughs> until he figures out this kind of stuff. That's why we don't go to data for solutions uh, or Geordi. We just say, hey, Captain, what, what solutions you got up in that noggin for your well, nitrate? Again, the last time they went to data for a solution, they ended up in a temporal time loop. 
Yeah, but they don't remember it. <laughs> we are back, and suddenly we are arguing with a tiny Klingon and a big Klingon. Who who you got? Who you think is going to win this particular argument? Here's how, here's how it goes. Tiny. My instructions were clear. No, they were not. Soiled clothing needs to go in the soiled clothing redistributor. No, it does not. It's a very complex series of um, back and forth uh, that we go through with father and son. Um, I, I kind of love it. It's it's very Tashi Station power converters. Like I love, there's a line where he says, you told me yesterday, not today, which is such kid logic, right? Like, <laughs> yes. I am not a parent, yeah. but I am a teacher and have worked so often with students that age who it's like, suddenly forget the pattern of what we do every single day before we go out to recess or whatever it is. And it's like, but you didn't tell me today. And I felt it is what I'm saying. I think it's pretty great. And, and they just to please people like Jimmy, they put in some science fiction stuff so that it's not, you know, I got to go play with Kevin outside. It's like, I got to go outside and play Schlurgon ball with Sebastian <laughs> and, and, and the Blorg of Tarflock nine. Like it, it, it's like, it doesn't have to be that, but they give us some of that shit anyway. So now we quickly get to Troy suggesting that we'll draw up a contract. Uh, we, uh, which takes us all back to junior high. I assume I, I know I had a contract with my parents at some point where they had absolutely nothing that could go wrong for on their end and anything that I did was to be punished uh <laughs> very quickly and with a full iron boot uh did y'all have contracts of behavior or I know Jimmy was probably just ordered around uh, what, what do you got no contracts <laughs> I had friends who had contracts yeah uh, my, I had no curfew. I just had to, it was a case by case basis. That was sort of our, I, so I had to argue every instance of, of where I was going and why <laughs> not argue, but you know, like the who and the why and the where. So on an equity level, you had an, uh, LOA reference to Lort rather than your own <laughs> Lort contract. <laughs> I like it. I had a similar. My brothers got all of the uh, rules, and I instead got "Don't fuck up too bad," and we'll all get along just fine. I feel like this was like a, a Good Morning America style story that was going around at this time too. Of like, oh, this is a way to do Doctor Spock parenting type of thing because my parents tried this as well, and it very quickly devolved into uh, them not giving a shit uh, after <laughs> a week or so, uh, as as did I, uh, about these types of things. But funnily enough, I feel like my daughter now is always trying to get deals and make contracts with me. We have we have parents, we have teachers, and uh, we have uh, myself, who, who was an uncle to over a dozen children over the years. Yeah, I'm not doing any contracts with these people. I just wind them up and give them back to their parents. <laughs> I, I, re I really recommend that for all of you moving forward. We have the contract to go, and it, neither side is pleased with it, but Troy assures Alex, one day you'll be grateful your father insisted on rules. You'll appreciate your parents. Deet, deet. Riker to Counselor Troy, your mom is here. On the other hand, she says. Mm. Um, so as an introduction, this is the second best you could get. The best you could get is Luxana just walking in the room at this particular moment. 
Uh, and I kind of wonder why they didn't just go ahead and do that, except that they apparently had a, another uh, new transporter chief they had to introduce us to a little bit later. Um, <laughs> what was your reaction on hearing that Luaxana is about to join us? Mine is always extreme relief uh, and joy that we are about to have this particular character uh, that we've been gifted on this show. Uh, and it's been a little while. It's time. It's time to get the, the joy that is Luaxana Troy back. Uh, were, were you all taken the same way that I was? I had forgotten this was a Luaxana Troy episode. I was very happy to figure it out. I feel like the last time we saw Luxana, if I'm correct, is that wonderful episode with uh, David Ogden Steers, uh, which didn't give like we got some of her being fa fabulous, but it was a, a muted. Um, so I was definitely looking forward to what I assumed was going to be a more on point visit from Luxana. Same. It was very much yeah. uh, David Ogden centric episode that time yeah. and, and she was there as more of a foil to the political aspect of it uh we don't know yet why she's here but uh we've we've got to think it's got to do better for us than assisted suicide <laughs> what you got, I, I laughed Greg? out loud at, at this line just the fact that it was oh you're gonna really love your parents going forward and then that call means uh that uh, Troy, as most counselors, full of shit when it comes to their own problems. <laughs> yeah, and the moment you hear Riker's voice, you you just are prepared for exactly how much joy she brings to his life. <laughs> no one is quite as happy as Riker when Loxana is on the ship. Yeah, uh, which we'll see very soon as well uh, during his first walk and talk in a couple minutes. Uh, we go right to the decision to try and redecorate Ten Forward for the wedding. Uh, at which point we're like, wait, 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 whoa, 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 wait, what? Uh, apparently, Luxana Troy uh, has come to the Enterprise to be wed. To which De Deanna says, "Excuse me, who is this guy?" She says, "What's with all these questions? Just be happy for me." She says, "No, no, no, no. Yes, sure, but like, who is the guy? Says, why do you why do you keep saying who is the guy? Because I I don't know who the guy is." She says, "Tell me who he is and why you're marrying him." And then she says, well, he's, of course, Campio, the third minister to the Royal Council of Judges on Constellane. He's royalty, dumbass. And she says, but we we haven't met yet. I have seen his gorgeous dating profiles, though. I love that she says profiles. Like, back then, they're already called dating profiles that that she's sending to this person she hasn't met. This, this predates internet dating by a lot. Right. It means that Tinder exists in this universe. It does. She says, Deanna, I love you, but you do make everything sound like an epitaph. And at that point, Worf drags in Alexander. That was a great line, though, I do have to it's say. It's a great line. Yeah, because yes. she did. She made it sound depressing that like, oh, this person you're going to spend the rest of your life with. And she's like, you make everything sound <laughs> like we're dying already. Yeah, I, whenever someone says something like that, I'm always reminded of an interview I saw on Oprah like in 1996 or something with Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston and Oprah mentioned something about, and now you're together forever. And Brad was like, we don't use that word. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you don't. Oh. <laughs> I wonder what's going to happen in the uh. next couple of years with you kids. Woo. Little red bit flag. of pre -science red flag, there. red flag. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Worf drags in Alexander. It seems like they're having the same argument. This time it is about the contract, and Worf is trying to get this info out 
to Deanna when Luoxana is just sitting there going, and goes, hmm. And Worf goes, hey, Mrs. Troy. And then she goes, hmm, again. So she was just sitting there waiting for Worf to acknowledge her, which he did as quietly and let's get past this as possible, at which point Luoxana interrupts her own thought uh, stream to say, a what, what contract for a child, Mr. Wolf? Mr. Wolf. <laughs> Mr. Wolf is just so good. And it's recurring. It's a recurring theme throughout the episode. Oh, great. A running gag. And it completely fucking works. Contracts and punishments for children. We are arguing. This is no way to live. Life's true gift is the capacity to enjoy enjoyment, she says. This is something this kid needs to hear. Really, Loaxana is the one to lead this kid into the joys of puberty just over the just over the hill in front of him. But it does seem to me very clear that they're setting up these two for a classic Luoxana Alexander mess around. What do you think? I love that they set them up as a relationship here. It doesn't quite make it as overt as it's going to be like we see like how they, you know, until they, they they kind of reach out to each other but I actually really enjoyed Marina Sirtis's acting in this where she is so exasperated by her mother and uh it's clear you know when it is professional right like the fact that she can equip with her mother back and forth on personal levels but as soon as Luxana tries to mess with her job she gets super pissed uh and i and i love that and i'm actually on deanna's side here it's like shut up in this moment <laughs> Luxana. yeah same. It's it's usually like that for me, but I also want her never to shut up because she's among my favorite characters, and I just don't know how to handle myself when watching an episode like this. What is useful in a time like this is for Riker's big shit-eating grin to show up <laughs> as he yes. uh, as he walks Picard through the corridors and says, uh, you know, she just wants us to take her to meet her fiancé, and then she'd like to get married here. And Picard's like, well, we should not be in the business of just giving the woman everything she could possibly want. And he says, well, really all she wants is for you to give her away. And he says, okay, we have a complete agreement. She can have the wedding here. All I've ever wanted in my life is to give that woman away. <laughs> perfect, perfect. He's happy to give away Mrs. Troy. And then... Here come the glitter termites. We get to see the glitter termites, everybody. Shitting all over the ship. Has there ever been a less scary looking monster uh, in Star Trek? This <laughs> is just such a like joyful little monster that we're treated to. Yeah, it's dirt. It's just but it's pretty dirt. It's pretty glitter dirt that poops all over the place. Effervescent. Yes, we will find out about the poop soon enough. <laughs> Next we see Alexander Mope. For the world team, he's got the Charlie Brown mope going. Like, there is no better shoulder, head, neck <laughs> situation in acting history than what uh, young Alexander Brian Bonsall has going right here. He eventually tells his new friend, Luoxana, that he wanted to be out of the room before his dad got home. And that's why he's early to his meeting with Counselor Troy. That's sad. That's very sad, young Alexander. You don't want to see your dad because you're in the middle of this several-day-old argument. It's not fair, he says. I got to do rules, and I don't even know how to do them. And I miss my mom. And Mrs. Troy says, I also don't know how to do rules. That's fair. 
So she's taking to Alexander to a colony of free spirits. I wasn't sure what to expect there, but it also didn't occur to me that they were going to do the holodeck. So I'm, I'm pleased they did the holodeck and not a shuttle or the uh, <laughs> or the transporter room. But uh, what what did you have in your head on uh, the idea that they're going to go to a quote colony of free spirits? What what did you think that was going to lead to from uh, uh, young Alexana Troy? Nudity. <laughs> it's got to be right. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like that colony that Wesley gets in trouble in in oh. season one, where right. they're all doing like calisthenics and they're all like you know blonde athletes like. Look at our part. Mixed with a little bit of Risa. And I guess it kind of is that to a certain extent, except also mixed with uh, circus people and carnies. Yeah. Scary circus people. That's where I want to bring the kid. The holodeck already has the program. So uh, we know that Riker has been talking to the holodeck here and there. I loved this exchange of Majel Barrett with herself. Yes. I think it might be one of the only times where she addresses the computer and she's very disdainful of the computer too. Like she hates it. She knocks on the on the wall. Like that's how you get in touch with it. And then there's just that one time where it's her voice back at her. But I feel like they almost roboticized it a little bit more to make sure that it felt uh, uh, different from, from her Cute. speaking voice as Luaxana. I just love that little aside because, you know, of course, us Star Trek nerds are aware that it is the same voice. Uh, and I think it's uh, a nice acknowledgement of that but also uh underlining loxana's uh you know rule breaking kind of way of, of being yeah and i i like every alien or curmudgeon that we get that talks to the computer like they're an asshole uh like the computer's an asshole you know with the the yeah. knocking and and the you know oh, oh, it's very mccoy like and i i'm for it bring on the jugglers and clowns we we are first uh approached by a wind dancer which is a disembodied head in a bubble that has been tattooed with Harlequin squares. It's it's not what I would introduce a 10-year-old to. I don't like it. No, I didn't like it. That was a nightmare. That was, first of all, it's like close-up magic where that you don't want, right? Like yeah. it's it's all up in your face. There's no way to say no. It's the worst of, of forced participation that as an actor, I've had to both do and be on the other side of, and I hate them both equally. And how are you supposed to have a joyous heart so you can enter when this thing's in front of your face the whole time? Exactly. Like my heart was joyous until this thing was all up in me. Right. It's a, it's a Cenobite, right? Isn't this, yes. isn't this fucking Hellraiser? It's an absolute yes. Cenobite. Maybe that's why I was so freaked out about it. <laughs> it's not... It's not a happy image by any no. means, uh, but certainly in its proximity to horror films of the 80s. <laughs> All I know is that as this scene progresses, at one point, my husband looked at me and said, am I hallucinating this? And I wasn't <laughs> sure if I knew the answer because I was like, because it, it's no. happening to us both. So maybe no, like, I, I'm not sure. Be between the Wind Dancer Cenobite the fire sculptor who looked like a skinny Teletubby, the, <laughs> the goofy juggler who I was just ready to punch. I'm sorry. It, it's Albie Selznick was the goofy punk juggler. I apologize, Albie. You've had a hell of a career. Starting as a tightrope walker in Xanadu. Like, oh, a, wow. this is, this guy, oh. the guy's got chops. That said, they did you, A, no favors with the script. B, no favors with the script <laughs> and see they dressed you like a fucking idiot 
So all those things at once, and they, they, I can't deal with it. I feel like I took juggling off my resume because of roles like this, because they all <laughs> kind of have to talk like this and do the faces. And like, I mean, you're not helping anybody. Free spirits equals clowning. Yes. Uh, uh, everyone knows that. But like clowning that is not connected to anything. The juggler then introduces us to the concept of laughing hour which is just about to begin. This is a concept that we're not quite sure has made its way into Alexander's uh, tiny little brain yet, but it certainly will. To me, it sounds awful. Then later on, he says, who else are you gonna fight with if not your friends after we see two more characters from Low Budget Labyrinth uh, arguing and Low budget uh, labyrinth trying to <laughs> make, it, <laughs> make it all work on our way to the mud baths. And then, we have Dr. Zayas show up and say, hold, what is the lesson for today? We're all not quite sure how to deal with this guy. How did he make it in past the wind dancer? Because that does not seem like a joyous heart. He says, every moment requires a purpose. To which Lwaxana says to Alexander, no, it doesn't, which is great advice. He says, every purpose requires a plan. And then he says, the higher, the fewer. All right, so the higher, the fewer. This comes up several times. This is a classic riddle where they say, you know, what, what do you call a, a mouse that walks or something like that, a mouse that talks? And it is an old riddle that has to do with a boat part called a mouse that as it goes higher up on the, the mast, you, it does fewer revolutions. And so like it's an old thing from, from like as far back as like the Odyssey and shit. And then it is misquoted in a Stephen King book uh, in The Stand and a couple other places that this thing just comes out and is the answer to a, 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 a very wise riddle that, that by the mid nineties was pretty much lost to, to everyone except the people who took the particular literature course that this writer did. Uh, who then put it all down our throats four or five times in this episode, and no one has any fucking idea what this it writer was. Uh, this writer was the same guy who wrote the last Luxwana episode, actually. I like that. I hate the higher the fewer. Uh, <laughs> what, what did you guys? Uh, what, what were your thoughts on the higher the fewer when it showed up several times and with no explanation? My whole feeling for the the scene of meeting these people, it was, it was like he was trying to. Ev it, evoke scenes from other movies where you meet wacky people, like maybe the tea party or something where they say right. something wacky, but there really is something to what they're doing. Um, and like the argument with the friends and like they're, Oh, what else do you do? They're friends. How can they not argue? And I don't disagree with that, but it also isn't like a, a lesson that lands on your head. Like, Oh wow. I understand relationships better or this story <laughs> better. It just uh, like it, it's it's a lot of um, near misses as they're shooting over the bow, so it just didn't land the way I thought they were hoping it would. Agreed. I feel like the fewer that were higher uh, were the ones who were writing this episode. If you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it was indeed four twenty. Yes. So Alexander uses his newfound higher and fewer power to go back to the people who are arguing and says, if you're going to argue, you should remember the higher, the fewer. And they look at him like he's a moron and stop arguing. And that's, 
I guess, what we're supposed to get out of that. Troy, at the same time, is looking for Alexander because rather than being early, she thinks he's late because she came and found him not there when their uh, appointment was supposed to start. So she instead finds Worf, who is cleaning up the room and mumbling to himself, Con stupid contracts and blah, 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 blah. And so they discover by asking the voice of Majel Barrett where Majel Barrett is physically, and uh, Majel says that she herself is in the holodeck <laughs> with Alexander, and here they go. Yeah, Kate. I was so relieved when I thought we were done. I wrote, it's over, I feel traumatized. <laughs> And then one sentence later, I wrote in all caps, it's not over. Uh, because <laughs> I thought we were done with this uh, upside down world. Dear God. But but instead, now we're naked and in the mud and bath. And eating, eating cups. waffle cones. Fucking eating cups. Yeah. Styrofoam waffle cone cups. Yeah, they want a little bit of Willy Wonka in there. As I wrote. Well. I wrote down that she is probably giving Alexander good advice, but I am too freaked out to listen to it. I have no idea what happened in that scene. I have no. I, I think she was probably telling him nice things that were helpful. No clue. No fucking clue. I had a similar reaction because all I could think about was the time when I was a kid where one of the neighborhood dads had a birthday party barbecue in the backyard and one of the moms ordered him a stripper and all of us kids are in the backyard watching the stripper oh, no. walk around the dad who's been sat down oh, no. in this fucking picnic chair yeah so what happened that's to that couple about. a few years later i mean that seems like another <laughs> oprah moment <laughs> i have no idea but my neighborhood was not full of normal people wow. so I, I was right there with you kate jimmy what happened in this scene kate and i blacked out uh, I don't remember either. This is the scene that had that basically had the the stripper uh, and uh, doing doing her dance. Yeah, like every seventies TV show having a belly dancer with uh, a lot of butt. That was a lot yeah. of naked oh, butt, yeah. they, and they focused on the butt for sure. Yeah, like close up on the. But TV. there was also like plant material on the butt, so so it's okay. She wasn't naked. Yeah. Uh, all I know is that when Worf. Pops that bubble-faced man. He was all of us. The wind the wind dancer saw Worf and didn't like him. Big surprise. Worf uh, just slapped him and he exploded. So come and join us, Mr. Wolf, uh, says Luoxana. Basically, that's the end of the party. We get out of there as quickly as possible to give Kate's head, as well as my own, a break from whatever the fuck they were trying to teach us. She says, you're giving him mixed messages. Luoxana said, I gave you mixed messages. Uh, and you're still deadly dull. What are you worried about? I'm like, wow. Then we get back to the, what about your wedding? It's in three days. Shouldn't you be doing something? She says, I got nothing to do. I, I'm not even, my wedding gown's getting altered. And then she's like, what? what, what? You're not going to be naked at your wedding? Yeah, yeah you're, you're not even going to be naked at your own wedding? That was a great line. Holy shit. That was a great line. Uh, I believe we hadn't heard yet that you have to be naked at a beta Z wedding. Uh, maybe we had in passing uh, to scandalize us, but it would have been years before. Yeah. Uh, so so this is a nice reminder. She says, I'm adapting. It's simple. I'm just going to put on a dress. And she says, wait, from the heir to the holy rings of Beta Zed, the holder of the sacred chalice of Reeks, you're going to put on clothes? She says, there's no mystery. He's just a dude. 
why is this replicator giving me sausage instead of tea? <laughs> so this whole scene has been basically so that we can see a replicator give out linked sausages in teacups. Which she still drinks. She takes she the fucking sausages it. out and still drinks it. That is my favorite part of the entire fucking episode. It's baller. Oh, it's incredible. Incredible because it looks like sausage water. Oh. Oh. And, you know, uh, heretofore, and you know I don't like using that term. <laughs> I understand. Anytime somebody's gone up to the replicator, all you have to do is say, uh, Earl Grey, hot. There's not a secret on how it works. So, uh, you know, the bit is funny despite it having zero logic to it. It's space glitter. But no, it's the space glitter. It's a, it's. There's space glitter right there. Yes, that's true. But she does say it never works for me. Why can't I ever get these things to work? So they were trying to make it a running bit for hers. Correct, but they also then go straight to Data and Jordy, who are dealing with 200 malfunctioning replicators. Yes. No, these guys right. have shit to do. I love how any time something little goes wrong, these guys turn into Harry Dean Stanton and Yafet Kodo from Alien. Like, there's nobody else to handle the shit. <laughs> it's just you got to throw Data and Jordy into the Jeffries right. tubes and be like, yeah. fix my replicator. Well, we it's already fantastic. know you don't need 1,000 souls in Enterprise. You just need five or six people because they yep. can do everything. And the ship is self-cleaning, so that's one big thing taken care of. Which is good when you've got orange goo coming uh, you know, down in the <laughs> Jeffries tubes. That's why people just side-eye it. When they see it, like, dude, what's that? The ship will clean it up later. We'll get to uh, how quickly the ship cleans itself up later on when we've got three seconds before everybody dies, and then everybody's fine. They tricord, no plasma leakage, but then the plasma leaks right on data. It's slimy. It's gorgeous. Luoxana wants to lower the bodice of her dress. They go right to that. They don't explain any of the slime yet. We just go right to trying to see some tits. Go for it. She Kate. is a silver fox. Mm-hmm. Yes, that. Oh hair, my right away. God! Yes, yes, a million times, yes. Yes, and I don't know how women feel. I will not speak <laughs> for them. I will say, as a man who appreciates boobs, I'm very happy that a woman who has that particular <laughs> arrangement uh is willing to uh accentuate them <laughs> so yay for you. it's not for you jenny and it's not for your you dresses. <laughs> <laughs> i'm a feminist really they did give you a full uh hands to bodice uh slow rise of the camera in an earlier shot jimmy yes. so oh, this no, particular no. one only talking about it uh, we'll have to get you through. But Mr. Hom is like, no, we shall not lower the bodice. Shall we raise the hem? Mr. Hom says, no, we shall not raise the hem. He is useless in this particular situation. So we have Alexander come in, still doing his da 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 walk. She's got, he apologizes to Luaxana in case he got her in trouble. That's a good kid. She says, you know, no apologies from you. You can't get me in trouble. I do it just fine by myself. He says, hey, 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 why are you getting married? She says, well, people get married because they want to spend their lives with someone. He says, well, you must like that person a whole lot. She says, if you're young and lucky, yeah. 
but if you're old like me, and he says, well, are you old? And she's like, well, I'm alone, Alex. And when you're older, you compromise so you won't be afraid. This is the saddest fucking thing we've ever seen from Luoxana Troy. And it deserves its own episode if we're going to say that this is the, the situation that she finds herself in. She's so desperately alone and sad and lonely that she has gotten on Tinder and put herself on a veil <laughs> for marriage. This deserves a whole episode, but uh, since now we know what's going on, we can kind of see the rest of the episode fall into place. Uh, Alex comforts her right away. Uh, what 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 were you guys going through watching uh, a character who has always been so self-assured uh, dealing with these feelings of inadequacy? Did it did it strike you particularly? Kate? It's just a it's a beautiful scene, and it it so much yeah. of it has to do with. Um, she's just such a wonderful actor and, and he's such a fine young actor, right? Like he's so, um, he doesn't, he's not cloying, um, in the way that sometimes young actors can be. Um, and there's just this sense that that mask doesn't come off for anyone, not even Deanna, right? Like she doesn't show that side to anyone. So to have her be so vulnerable, is is truly remarkable and we we do see we get the 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 chance to see the moments that we didn't get to see with her as deanna's mother and that there were certainly moments like this of connection of empathy you know of 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 things like this uh before she became so kind of overbearing in the adult motherhood way that she is currently with Deanna. So it's nice to have that window as well. So uh, then we go and see Data talking about the replicator failure again. The interface became a gelatinous material, he says. Uh-oh. Other, other failing controls and backup systems and generators are online. It's uh, Everything's going uh, cascading failures here. We have attitude control failing. Finally, we get everything working nominally again. And Riker says, let's stay on impulse, but get us back on course. Picard says, I want analysis in 30 minutes. And so we cut right to 30 minutes later. Jordy brings in a jar of the Ghostbusters mm-hmm. slime that loves Jackie Wilson from Ghostbusters 2. We talk about this is what we're finding all over the place. And it, it seems like it's a um, organic, it's organic materials somehow uh, finding their way uh, out of this metal debris that they saying is is likely due to the asteroid we saw in the first scene but we all have to put this on hold because minister campio is beaming over let's go get him and i was expecting a super famous guest star now we didn't get a scrub we got tony j very famous he he voiced frollo in hunchback of notre dame just a couple years after this uh, and most of his 190-odd credits are for video games and cartoons where he's done Disney-like Hunchback and Beauty and the Beast, but also uh, characters like Magneto, various ghosts and elder gods, voices for the Savage Dragon, Spider-Man, and Superman series. He is one of those voices. Accompanying him as Protocol Master Aiko, we have Patrick Cronin early in a career where he's best known as Judd in uh, on Alice in the 70s, as well as many other single appearances on TV, recurring on Seinfeld, Knots Landing, and Family Matters, one of those faces to go with one of those voices. We should always have a protocol master, even when it uh, offends Loxana <laughs> Troy. He says, come on, what am I, going to abandon ourselves to the moment? 
can't do that. That would be unpardonable. Just, I'm sure you're going to talk about it, but Troy and Picard's exchanged look is everything, right? Like, we shouldn't abandon ourselves to the moment, and there's just that, um, row Like, everybody knows this yeah. is not going to end well. Yeah, my very next line written down is Picard and Troy are like, quote, oh, wow, they're not even fucking yet, unquote. <laughs> Uh, so I'm right there with you. That exchange was delightful. Jimmy, what do you think about the intro of uh, uh, Mr. Echo and uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Campio? What do you think of these uh, two Yeah, well, they're real sticks in the mud. It's, I mean, immediately I thought of what dating service were they on that paired these people <laughs> up? <laughs> yeah, perfect match and you know it goes back though um to the last scene and what you had brought up eric and i hadn't thought about it because most of the time with the exception of the assistant suicide episode when luxana comes on it's comic relief there there's mm-hmm. nothing heavy it's one of those that sort of breaks up a season where we've had some heavier episodes and she brings in some levity so when she came on i was like oh i didn't think about anything because like oh we're supposed to chuckle like everything with this is supposed to be funny but you know it was a little serious when you like like Kate said it was a beautiful moment with uh, I'm lonely and she's making this choice not because she's making a choice that Luxana usually would she's making it out of desperation and that just went over my head because I just brushed it aside I think because it was a Luxana episode and then when this guy comes on I was like well this is. I mean, this is all comedy, right? Like, <laughs> where could this go other than some Keystone cops and, like, what's going on? Or or there was a split second, because, of course, I didn't remember. It's like, will he change? Like, when she came in at the end, I was like, ooh, are we going to see where he puts his hand on the other guy's face? He's like, uh-uh. I don't care about protocol. Um, right, he just bites his own hand. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> right, right. I, 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 so we go back to Jordy and Data who are looking for the nitrium, etc. in the glitter. What if it was being eaten by something? We'd end up with what we've got. Uh-oh, something eating the dilithium is on the table now because uh, that's where most of our nitrium is kept. We know that would be bad. Uh, and so we go to the creepiest scene in the film or in the episode where Alexander is doing his laughing hour thing at home. If my kid is just wandering around going, ha, every seven seconds and just responds to it the way this is going. Like, he's going to boarding school. <laughs> like, this is not okay. <laughs> I want to throw him through a wall. My cat was so pissed. He was hackles. Like, he was so unhappy, and therefore we were unhappy. Uh, it was sure. interesting. The cat is your natural ally against Alexander. Also, that's not really laughing. Right. This is this is it's angry. Not, but was it supposed to be uh, funny because it was like a Klingon kid trying to laugh? Like, <laughs> were they trying to do a joke there? That's a good point. And he's screaming and he's he's doing that thing again where he's changing the rules. This is not a promise. This is an appointment. It's not the same thing. We, we promised we were going here, and everything that Worf says is a lie. Go ahead, Jimmy. Well, I was a little upset that uh, Zoom was allowing you the ha, but it would not allow me the ha. Oh. Well, I heard your ha. Well, I, I deserve to be heard. <laughs> and, uh, Zoom... <laughs> Zoom's just angry at you, my friend. 
The C, the Zoom was angry that day, my friend. Um, you were too high pitched, perhaps. Um, no, his 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 uh, performance of this ha is like me. Molly Ringwald in The Breakfast Club when uh, they're like, "Oh, parents just don't understand." How She's like, "Dare you!" And right, and that's he's he's not he's angry. It doesn't make any sense. Um, if you're gonna do laughing hour like I do at my uh, with my family, <laughs> we are doing that. We're actually laughing with mirth. That's probably would have enjoyed. Uh, Worf, and he would have gotten Worf on his side a little bit more if he was actually telling funny jokes. But kids are not funny, as we know. What if your daughter came in and said, Father, the higher, the fewer? <laughs> I'd be like, how did you know? Did you find my stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Told you to stay out of my closet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, so... Can I bump my doobie? <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, suddenly Campio does want to talk sex, but Luaxana needs to take Alex for a walk right now. Instead, they have gone ahead and come into the scene where Luaxana and her future husband were about to talk about the, the dirty, dirty things that one does on uh, the wedding night. Uh, but she says, no, I will be back in one hour. And the guy said, well, you can't leave. And she's like, pretend I can leave. And uh, everyone now is starting to pull Luaxana in different directions. Uh, we have six different people trying to pull her. And eventually she just sneaks out and Troy's like, um, uh, she has gone. And everyone is there arguing alone. I think the slipping out and taking Alexander with her was both predictable and well done uh, because I foresaw it happening. And then I'm like, oh, I guess it's not happening. And when I was thinking that it was happening. Good work, everybody. I like the uh, the timing there. What do y'all think about this, which seems to be very close to the actual um, A, a uh, story climax. We'll get to the B story climax very soon. I liked it because it felt like a farce. It felt like a kind of, you know, noises off theatery trick that they played here where it's like a bunch of people talking, a bunch of people talking, a bunch of people talking, and then, oh, the point you missed it because she's already gone, right? And yeah. I, I, I enjoyed the directors and the performers pulling that off, as you said, right? It actually, even though it was, I knew it was happening, I and it, it's, it was like the close-up magic thing. <laughs> I knew what they're gonna do, and they tricked me anyway. Uh, it's, it, it was enjoyable for that, um, but it seems like there's, there's truths here that are uh, that Luxana is trying desperately to lie to herself in this scene uh about her 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 future mate um and i kind of wish that i just don't see this character doing this even though i know that the motivation that she had uh, from the previous scene of being sad about being alone like i get all that but it just feels like so not like her that it it it, it didn't land as well as it could have if if i uh could understand at least what she was attempting to do here Agreed. I feel like the it's another victim of the 38-minute format. Uh, we just don't have time to deal with her and get rid of the glitter monster. <laughs> so instead, here we go, back to our little holodeck, something wicked this way comes carnival. Uh, we have 
<laughs> we have the juggler who has eaten all his juggling balls, his worlds. He says, don't eat your worlds or you'll lose out on things to juggle. Another good life lesson. It's, it's the weirdest fucking scene. And then at the end, when Alexander and, and Luaxana have made their decision to go back and, and live life the way they want to, the juggler starts juggling balls that aren't there, but seems happy enough again. I just assume that the glitter monster has made its way to the holodeck and everything is now fucked because otherwise it doesn't make any sense to me that he would just be happy and juggle nothing. This scene in particular felt like uh, Alice in Wonderland gone horror. Like, right. I know they were trying to go with their whimsical and free thinkers, but it actually just feels more scary than anything else. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and it probably did in 1992 as well. So uh, it, yeah, it I fails. thought this whole episode, Greg... I couldn't remember if if what of this was in the Star Trek acid party because the whole thing feels <laughs> like one big acid party. It does. Yeah, you're right, where it feels a little bit creepy or like, uh, uh, you know, I don't actually know if there are any actual scenes from this in that, which seems yeah. like a mess uh, to me. But uh, yeah, it is. it is it has Lewis, Lewis Carroll written all over it. So let's get to the rest of it. We have them finally telling Picard about our metal parasite. We can lure the parasites back to the asteroid field we got it from. We'd have to slow the parasites down because it's going to take us six hours to get back to this uh, asteroid field, which is rough because we got 12 minutes left in the episode. We can reconfigure a particle beam to leak nitrium like a trail of breadcrumbs once we get there. Okay, that'll work. But the problem is ventilation and life support is failing and they've taken over the turbo lifts we're down from warp six down from warp nine to warp six we'll never get there in time everyone is sweating it's dark we must evacuate but no one wants to even sit down and we still have two hours left to go uh they can't breathe but they also need to stand up it's it's really a difficult place to be as a uh, starfleet <laughs> officer officer Mr. Deja, if we lose consciousness, you will have to still do this bug guy thing. Uh, so uh, do that. But we're not going to say how much time we have left so that we don't need to say how long everyone was uh, uh, unconscious. Data gets there. Everything's dying. You got 20 seconds to do it. Data can do it because he's Data. The, the lithium chamber's holding at 28%. Everything worked. We're fine. Everyone can breathe again. That happens all within like four seconds. Very quickly. Good work, computer. Yeah, this computer, even when she's being devoured by glitter monsters, is right there and ready to save the day. It just needs a little help. It's not nearly as impressive of how soon you can breathe once uh, uh, air is released into the Martian atmosphere. Because <laughs> we know from that point, even if your eyes are bugging out, you can still uh, live through that uh, and not even need a Tylenol. So, not that impressive. Valid. It is useful to not have to depend upon insects in situations where your eyes are bugging out. Um, good also, catch. Good catch. Um, yes. I'm wondering if they did not leave a warning buoy here because they had already exhausted their warning buoy <laughs> supply. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> dead, dead out of warning buoys. They're on back order, damn it. <laughs> so we had a lithium chamber breach, but that that was fine. Uh, everything was fine as soon as we got everything back online. Uh, the repair cycles were very impressive. And now it's wedding time. What better way to celebrate being out of uh, warning buoys than uh, to have a traditional 
Beta Z wedding, which the minister and protocol droid were not expecting. Here she is. She's naked as the day she was born. She says, howdy, y'all. Riker and Crusher are here um, for it. Beverly Big Crusher fucking smiles. is so yes. into this. It's not yes. even like, oh, my God. She's like imagined it and it's matching what she thought there's things that are surprising her like this is the culmination we keep the camera on her for three more seconds and she's also naked (laughs) we we, we cut away we cut away way early on this there's also some random officer who is just he's not pleased very shocked I tell you he is not pleased (laughs) with what he sees (laughs) But Alexander is fine with it, which everybody should understand. Well, you do not have to explain stuff to your kids. They'll just be it, fine with it. Right? He's already yes, been to the point. mud bath with her. It's a good point. It's not new information. <laughs> they let the protocol droid have a full-on meltdown, screaming, infamous, infamous, we must leave immediately. <laughs> It's wonderful. Uh, Infamous <laughs> means these more than famous. <laughs> more infamous. <laughs> yeah. So we go back to the mud bath where every pore of my body tingles with contentment. She wanted to teach Alexander how to grab the joys of living. And it turned out that he turned around and showed her how to never let go of them. Chewing mm. And Worf gives us the only way you're allowed to end this episode. Yes. What does he say, Jimmy? Am I supposed to just sit here? (laughs) (laughs) The only way to end it better is then to have a bubble show up right between his legs. It's the only (laughs) way to end it better. Yes, that would have been amazing. (laughs) But it was a great buildup, right? Because it's... Because it's a close-up on each one of them, right? We get a little close-up. And I thought that Deanna's hair looked lovely. Um, It's very Helena Bonham Carter before Helena Bonham Carter had that hair. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Strong. Like, it was nice. Very I was strong. Looking for the everybody. ringlets to go into the mud. I was like, oh no, don't get that hair dirty. Well, and how did <laughs> Worf's beard was definitely in the mud? Like oh, yeah. he is very modest. Making yes. sure that nothing above the neck is seen. <laughs> yeah. That was it's awesome because perfect. he everybody else is like chest up, like right above the nipple in the, the mud. And Worf was certainly yeah. like up there at the <laughs> neck. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that contributed to the to the laugh for me. Same. It was fantastic. That's the episode. We gotta go right to the ratings because I can't believe I took so long in talking about the episode itself. Uh, let's start with you, Greg Tito. What are you going to give this one? I am going to give this one four mosaic-based demons that will haunt me forever. <laughs> strong, strong. It's not great. Uh, it, it's it's middling. I mean, four might be a little bit too low, but I didn't enjoy the B-plot at all. The, the whole Blitter monster was just not worth it. I feel like this would have been a much stronger episode if they had focused on the relationship budding between Alexander and Luwaxana. That was my entertaining bit. I really enjoyed that pairing and how it contributed to the storytelling of of Worf and Deanna. Uh, and one of my, what I like about Star Trek is when they do these ones that are more about living on a starship rather than uh, huge world shattering events. Um, and, and they tried to do that with this one and they, sh- I feel like they just kind of got too in the weeds with this glitter monster stuff and it's bogus and it doesn't, it's not really interesting. Um, and it takes up way too much screen time. Almost the entire, you know, act five is them dealing with this. And I just 
other than them seeing sweaty uniforms, I'm not really uh, at, and it felt like there was really anything that much at stake uh, for it. Um, so that part was dumb. I love the return of, of Magil Barrett and everything that she was able to do with this character. Um, the fun little comedy with uh, her talking to the computer as well as Mr. Woof and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wish they kind of accentuated that more and trusted the writer uh, to bring it more to life. Um, but then of course this evil carnival uh, just, was was poorly executed and poorly conceived um and that me that's why i kind of get it below the average rating because uh that part didn't work for me either um so yeah a swing and a mess most mostly uh despite a decent you know core storyline between uh these two guest stars essentially with brian bonsall and major barrett all right for it is what do you think kate i'm gonna give it um six laughs in a bath <laughs> I would give it less for the reasons that Greg said, but I, I, it evens out for me because of how much I love the performance of Majel or Majel, right? I just feel like anytime she's in an episode, I'm a happy camper and particularly to have such a wonderful friendship story between, you know, one of our older characters and one of our younger characters, a woman of a certain age and a young boy who's lost his mother, right? Like it, it's a, the buddy comedy that writes itself, um, but it's really well done. And it's really um, a satisfying ending for me, right? Besides just seeing Beverly be so happy uh, with n- nudity. There is just something so wonderful because it's... It's not the Olaxana that we know throughout much of this episode. She is um, burdened and and sad, and and she takes her power back in that moment in you know the way that only she can. Um, so there, therefore, it it evens itself back out to a six for me. I like it. All right, we have a four. We have a six. Jimmy, what you got? Ha! <laughs> <laughs> ha! 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 <laughs> that's five ha's for those counting at home. And that's it. That's Jimmy's entire outgoing ratings situation. We have a four from Greg, a six from Kate, and a five from young Jimmy. I'm going to give it three and a half Woo! dilithium gummies. I I don't like this episode. I I I wanted to like this episode. I like uh, Luxana Troy very much. Possibly my favorite recurring Star Trek character across the the various series that that was never a a lead. And I would prefer this one not be in there. I don't I don't think it helps the character much. Uh, I I am grateful to have her in an episode that is terrible, so that there are less terrible moments because she's so great. But I just don't think it adds literally anything to the entire Star Trek canon, uh, especially because we get episode after episode after episode of stuff like this in Deep Space Nine with the various children involved there, uh, and they're handled just better. I think uh, you're you're dealing dirty with the idea of uh, aged loneliness, and you're, you're giving it 
only a couple of little monologues given to a child rather than talking to someone who might know more about what they're talking about. Not useful. Basically all through, I, I, I will say that I thought we were going to get in and out of this episode in 45 minutes, so the fact that it has taken us 77 uh, means that we at least like talking about it, um, or that I said, ah, uh, an inordinate number of times. Uh, I leave it to you guys to decide, especially whoever does the sound editing on this one. Ah! Uh, but I'm going to leave it at three and a half myself. I don't think any of us thought that we set the world on fire, uh, which is frustrating because that would be the best way to dry my wet pants. Ha! 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 Thank you so much for riding along with us on this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we continue our mission with the next episode of the fifth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Reengage on Blue Sky and the site formerly known as Twitter at ReengageTNG to get updates when episodes are published. You can follow our various cultural bridge officers. Kate Yeager is at Yeagerlicious. Eric Curry is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is visible at GregTito.com and at GregTito on Twitter and Blue Sky. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Insta. Reengage is edited by Greg Tito, Kate Yeager, or Jimmy G. Logo artwork is by MojoJojo underscore 97 on Twitter or Mojo97.com. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Join us next week as we reengage. <laughs>